0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show
1: description to support now. Welcome to the Shapes of Stories, a podcast with me, Lawrence Prestige, as your host. Stories come in all shapes and sizes, whether it be from our favourite books, our life experiences, or the day-to-day challenges and issues we face in the world today. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of The Shapes of Stories, me, Lawrence Prestige. and really excited to bring you this episode as I talk to Jack Ryder, and you EastEnders fans may um, recognise Jack from his uh, character And remember him as um, Jamie Mitchell in EastEnders, who probably had one of the most saddest and heartbreaking deaths in EastEnders history. Um, Yeah, it was really great talking to Jack, a really nice guy. And a fellow Newcastle United fan like myself. And we actually spoke about this on the eve of Newcastle United's takeover, because they're now away from the reins of Mike Ashley as being the owner of the football club. And they now are arguably one of the richest clubs in the world, allegedly. So, you know, we'll see what happens with Newcastle United. Um I actually said to Jack on the podcast, I was kind of getting rumblings that something was in, in, imminent on um, on Twitter. So, yeah. And then, the, lo and behold, the next day, we had a, a new ownership um, of the club, new owners coming in. So, amazing, amazing. um New heights, new, y- you know, a new um project for Newcastle United, hopefully... You know, that all goes well. It's a tough subject, I know, for some people, but it's just nice to to have some owners with ambition. Um, but anyway, I digress. This is about Jack Ryder and, you know, the amazing work that he's doing. And, you know, it was great to talk about. Not only is he sender's career and dealing the heights with that fame, um, it was great to hear what Jack's been doing since he senders really different shows that he's been on and um now a successful children's author. And um it was great to hear about Jack doing that and writing his own children's books and becoming a father himself. And um, it was great to hear about Jack's tutoring that he does. He's a mentor for actors. So it was great to to hear about about Jack's work work and what he's doing with these actors that he's um tutoring and what he offers them. So it was really great to hear all about this. Um, so without further ado, here is my chat with Jack Ryder. So Jack, how's things going?
0: Not bad, not bad at all. I'm actually I've been suffering with a bit of a cold. Everyone seems to have come down with this season change cold thing, mm-hmm. and um, I'm suffering. So my voice is a little little deeper than normal, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of coming out the other end of that. So feeling very good indeed. Yeah.
1: yeah. And is do you get that initial thought? Is it COVID? Like, do you have that thing like, I need to get You know what, I didn't at all, because <laughs> okay. I haven't
0: got any commitments uh, over the next couple of weeks, really, in terms of going anywhere. Um, so I really just had that old school feeling of, oh, I've, I've just got the sniffles, you know, I didn't even think about it. And then the, my yeah. partner, Ella, said uh, when we were in the midst of it, do you think it's COVID? And, and it just hit me and I was like, oh, God, didn't he, I didn't even think about that yeah you know but uh no she um did a a test and and she uh came back negative so no it wasn't COVID, no
1: back that's away. great and did i read rightly that you are a newcastle united fan yes and
0: i've listened yes. to one of your podcasts and you said to mr, <laughs> mr. Lineker that you were a newcastle fan i thought yeah. oh here we go now yes. this is uh this is good yeah. territory yeah
1: absolutely <laughs> this is it's a rare, well, especially we're both southerners. I assume so. Yeah. It's rare to find a sort of uh, another Newcastle because, like, why would you? Why, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> why would you put yourself through it? <laughs> well,
0: what makes you a Newcastle?
1: Um, I think I guess it was Shearer. It was okay. Alan Shearer. It was you know on the playground at primary school. All my mates were Man United, pretended to be Man United players. Yes. So you had them trying to be Beckham, Skulls, Sheeranum, Andy Cole, and I was like, well, I'll be a bit yeah. different. Uh, and Newcastle weren't too bad at the time. I was like, oh, yeah, "I'll, I'll, I'll, I'll do yep. Shearer. Um, you know, I'll, be, I'll be Shearer on the playground." Yep. And you know, I, w- I remember watching him in Euro '96, and you know, he was oh, that was a great game. tournament, man. Yeah, yeah, that I really, that I really liked. And um, yeah, sadly, it got to the stage where it was too late to, to, to go back on my yes. decision. Yes,
0: yes. No, for yeah. me, it's my stepdad who raised me since I was one. Um, he's a Geordie from Benwell. Um, and I used to go up to Newcastle with him as a kid and go to the strawberry pub opposite the stadium and watch the games and and, uh, I always felt very fortunate um, now to have been a Newcastle fan during my teens when you know those Keegan years and uh, with Mm -hmm. you know Janola and Espria and Shearer and Ferdinand and I'll tell you one of the things that's got me through Covid the last couple of years of just flicking onto youtube and watching the 5-0 against man U. you know just watching those highlights every so often and just being yeah. like oh it's just bliss i just remember oh, that yeah. night so clearly watching that game and um i really you know still now believe that newcastle were one of the most entertaining teams you know at that time like those few years they were a phenomenally entertaining football club and um very proud yeah. to uh been a fan and still be a fan now yeah you know
1: yeah yeah well, even that Bobby Robson era was great as well yeah you know, but that was my teenage year was the Bobby Robson yeah um you know Alan Shearer Craig Bellamy up front yes. and you had Solano and Robert you know that, I we weren't going to win anything but we were Champions League before, yeah it was just a great you know great little period yeah. for us no,
0: I remember doing um you know doing theatre work and being on stage in Newcastle and that's the wonderful thing is, like, Newcastle's one of the few cities in the country, I believe, that the stadium's actually in the middle of the city centre. You know, lots of the stadiums are also on the outskirts and stuff. So I'd be on stage, and there'd be these moments where you could just hear this faint sort of cheering, you know, and I'd be in the middle of a scene on stage thinking, yes, we've, we've obviously <laughs> scored a goal, you know. Um, but what a fantastic atmosphere up there, absolutely wonderful.
1: oh yeah well it's like a religion up there isn't it it's just like well it's their theatre
0: it's their theatre show you know and um yeah I mean in truth I don't really follow football so much now my brother still does my brother still we have conversations and go oh you you read the transfer market you read the news you know and he'll be telling me all something's been so and so has been signed or whatever but I don't really follow football so much but um but no, um, how are Newcastle doing? Are they just sort of you know run of the mill sort of bottom of the league? Yeah, much? they're
1: kind of in, in the relegation places. But there's a lot of noise on Twitter today that there's been a breakthrough with the takeover. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of noise on Twitter today about some kind of agreement being made. So obviously, lots of Newcastle fans will be happy because I mean, the end of my cash league, which has just not worked for anyone. Um, yeah. But yeah, we'll yeah. see. We'll 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 see. Hopefully. Um, You know, a new dawn will happen with Newcastle. We've suffered long enough, I think, as as fans to watch some terrible games recently. But yeah, at the minute, you know, it's still just plodding along. I think, you know, the owner runs it as a business and... And that's how it. And that's how it's been for a while. Did you watch the Euros, the the England, obviously the tournament?
0: Yeah, I did. I watched the England games. Yeah. I didn't get into into a mm. lot of the other games, but I watched the England games certainly. And and that was, mm-hmm. again, that took me back. You know, like you mentioned Euro '96, mm-hmm. it kind of had that real feel. About it again. Because there's been tournaments yeah. before that over recent years with that whole sort of it's coming home. And I've always gone, no, it's not coming home. What are you talking about? <laughs> and this time there yeah. was just a different, I think obviously COVID is responsible for a lot that, but there was a different feel in the air with this one. And I think yeah. for me as well, there was something about there not being any superstars in the team, in this in the sense of, yeah. you know, the Rooneys and the Beckhams and and all that there was actually yeah. that felt like there was a grounded nature to this young bunch who were just grafting and I think that yeah. kind of humbleness kind of I don't know and, and, and Southgate's approach obviously something about that um, energy was, was pushed us through in a in a really powerful way I think and I was so proud of those guys. You know, even after the penalty shootout yeah. with Italy, I was even before they the penalties began. I was like, "Win or lose, man." I was like, "I'm so proud of this. Like, what a team, and and, and what yeah. and what a celebration." You know?
1: Yeah, it was just a shame. There was a bit of negativity after with the racism, wasn't there? Like that. That was the first time that I didn't real. I had the realization after that game, just because I'd heard people that I never would have thought would say stuff like they have. Um, that was the first time I was like wow like this country really has got this kind of racism thing and it's just like well it's in football it's like it's not racism because it's kind of in in just a football atmosphere but it's like no it's like it's not okay just in any Uh, kind of situation huge light and the light
0: has been shone on it in a big way and and is being shone on a lot of situations now with things and uh i think it's actually absolutely brilliant that that's that's the case um but no it's absolutely inexcusable and 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 awful that 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 kind of was the aftermath of all that but i think you know a lot of people got behind that and a lot of people really rallied together and sent lots of really really positive messages i mean all the all the messages i saw on my you know social media and stuff was you know supporting you know these lads who'd stepped up to the plate at such a young age and you know the courage to do something like that and take the flack and you know and um, so I think a lot of positives came came through that as well. but um no, I mean it's uh yeah it was it wasn't nice at all sort of having to to deal to deal with all of that afterwards and um, I'm sure it was not very nice for those guys either at all but um, but again, the messages they wrote on their own on their own feeds and stuff about how they you know they're keeping their heads up they're going to try harder they're going to work harder they're going to keep focused on their their training and and all that stuff just kind of just positivity and just yeah. you know not not letting that you know not letting the the, the 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 those few who uh who wrote such such horrible things which I never read actually I never read what was actually written I just saw it in the media obviously but um mm-hmm. but um no I, I still I still congratulate and so proud of those that that, that young team um every one of them fantastic
1: job yeah absolutely i mean how have you been doing over the last 18 months i guess have you been able to keep that kind of positivity up or has it been a bit of a roller coaster for you because of you know just the whole uncertainty theaters being closed stuff like yeah. that you know the covid in general
0: yeah it's been a it's been a it's been a roller coaster as you say i, I don't see how it can not not be that um oh you know we've also had a baby as well we've, we've got a, a one-year-old now so you know that in itself you know is is kind of you know really swept us off our feet and um but also on the other side of it is is give us given us a real focus you know so a lot of the, the world's been going on and the pandemic and all this and we've had our our eyes set on this on this beautiful little girl and making sure she doesn't bump her head or you know and and uh so that's been a lovely focus for us during this time but um yeah it's swung some roundabouts it's been it's been it's been a crazy time for for so many of us and um yeah with the work side and theatre and stuff that's been very tricky and and very tough and has changed a lot um but uh yeah we're just like everyone else you know you just got to push through and take each day as it comes and it seems like we're coming through something now it feels like we're I wouldn't say coming out the other end because I think that you know COVID will always kind of remain in some form. There'll always be something, in, even in years to come, a mask or some kind of plate of, you know, perspex in front of you ordering something or, and it will be, it will all stem from that. I think that will always sort of be in a weird way. But um, but no, there's, there's been a lot of reflection and a lot of time to kind of, you know, focus, focus on, on family and focus on my writing and stuff. And that's been very positive um so I've taken I've taken a lot of good things from it but it but it hasn't been easy no not at all
1: not yeah. at all did, did you worry for theatres I suppose when there was that you know cl- close and then no sign at some stage when they'd reopen again I think especially for the smaller regional theatres yeah. there was that worry how they were going to cope well there was worry before COVID <laughs>
0: do you know what I mean how these <laughs> well, yeah. how these places can survive you know and a lot of them rely on their their pantomimes each year and stuff like that just to kind of pay the bills and It's um yeah, I mean God knows, you know. I mean I know a lot a few theater owners and and, you know we've been loosely in touch, but I think a lot of people sort of just sort of you know melted away into the shadows slightly and 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 I don't know how 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 a lot of these places have survived, but but there's a wonderful spirit in the community of theatre world. There's a wonderful spirit with with, amongst the actors, amongst you know, the students, you know, the graduates coming coming through and, and wanting to keep the business alive and and um it was only going to be a matter of time before it came back, you know, because, because there's an audience for it, there just is, and people want theatre, people want to be back in the cinemas, people want to be back at gigs, people want to feel that again, you know, so it will come slowly, but, you know, um, yeah, I can't imagine, you know, theatre owners, producers, and and and, and people in, in, in my field of directing and acting, it's, it's been incredibly difficult for, for, for many people, but, I think that um it's, i hope that you know it just keeps growing now and, and we kind of can get back to some kind of sense that you know you know larger audiences and people trusting trusting the process again of going to see these things and, and being around around people and stuff like that
1: i hope yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you been able to go and see anything yet or back in a rehearsal? No, not not yet myself.
0: Scene? No. I mean, right. me and Ella were talking the other day about maybe going to see the Bond movie and stuff like It's the first time we've talked okay. about going to the cinema yeah. in years. You know, we I mean this these are two people who we, you know, we used to go to the cinema a lot. You know, we used to go once a week and and see whatever was on, sort of vibe. And that that's that stopped for a long time and obviously having a baby stops a lot of that as well so it's like covid is it baby you know all that stuff but we're mm-hmm. we you know i think we'll venture into that again um very soon now and i think again it's about confidence and i think people are growing with that now a bit more and um so yeah we'll see we'll see what happens we'll see what happens and i'm hoping you know um you know in the, in the coming months that um there might be something involved you know with the theatre world that I can get my teeth into whether that be directing or acting and and kind of get back out there again it'd be lovely
1: yeah Yeah. I saw the Bond film last week and it was a bit surreal yeah and a a bit a bit nervous because it was just kind of it was the the opening day I went to go see it with my mate and but it was there obviously the opening day there was a lot of people there and it is kind of that oh I don't know this has been a while yeah of course (laughs) you know like yeah jump into the deep end but you know once you kind of had that kind of a normality of going sitting in your seat and you know the familiar trailers and adverts come on and stuff you're like actually i was gonna say like was there a
0: point in the film or even beginning you know before the film started where you kind of just didn't think about it you just kind of felt like oh god you had to remind yourself again
1: yeah yeah Yeah, it was a bit like that it was especially you know when you're the concessions, people line up for popcorn and drinks and there's all the, you know, you get loads of different counters and going to the toilet, it's all a bit of a rush. Everyone's <laughs> going to the toilet at the same time. And it was just a bit like, oh, I don't know if I like this. But yeah, once I sat down and the film started, I was, it was fine. just kind of switched off. And but everyone's, I presume everyone's wearing in. masks
0: and stuff as well in there? Not really.
1: Really? No. Okay. Not really. No, not really. Like it was, some people were, but it's one of these things where like there's signs that masks are encouraged you know, there's signs by the cinemas, the master yeah. of courage, but not, you didn't have to wear them, but it was kind of, I would say, ma- majority of people just really? didn't bother to yeah. be honest. Yeah. There was a few people in the toilets and, and the concessions with, with them on, but... Oh, I guess really? that's going to become
0: yeah. a bit more of the norm now as well. It was like when that kind of let's call it that law came into place even not too long ago, I remember being in the supermarket and someone was walking around without a mask on. And I remember being like, mm. oh my god, like and it just it just threw me slightly that that person wasn't had chosen not to. But I guess mm. now when I think I go into the supermarket, it's like I you know, I guess maybe 70% are wearing them and you know more and more are not basically. And I think that that will just start to bleed yeah. through more and more and, more and so, yeah, in three months' time, you'd be at the cinema and no one's wearing masks. It will kind of be like, yeah, you know, unless it all turns around again and we're suddenly in another lockdown and it's like, oh, here we go, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's so many unknowns. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I guess you've all, are you all jabbed up? Yeah. Now? Like, yeah. yeah shots, had my jabs and yeah. Yeah. yeah no, we we're
0: all jabbed up and stuff. Um, just going quickly back to the Bond film, a success?
1: Yeah. yeah? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a really good. It was like a. I don't want to ruin it. So <laughs> nice it, was really, it was, yeah, yeah. It was really, it was really good. It was really um, enjoyable. Lots of, you know, because it was Daniel Craig's last film. Well, this is the crazy thing. I remember of, being yeah.
0: in the Wolseley, reading one of the papers and saying, "Oh, Bond's not blonde, or like blonde Bond," and this whole kind of <laughs> angle of why have they cast this guy. And then obviously Casino Royale, phenomenal. You know, Quantum of Solace came and and went mm-hmm. sort of vibe. I think they made that film too quickly, to be honest. But then obviously Skyfall, mm-hmm. which was again a phenomenal film. Like and amazing, Daniel Craig's yeah. whole persona and you know the producing element of him as well involved in these movies. Like he is he's done such an amazing job. That guy he really has. Mm-hmm. I think he's yeah. Probably the strongest bond, I reckon, for me. I think he's superb. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's always no, the bond exactly. we grow up with. Do you know what I mean? Like,
1: uh, yeah, see, mine was Piers Brosnan. He was, you know, with golden, golden, golden eye. eye. And that was, I, love, I love that. you had the N64 the game. The N64 and, game. If, um, yeah, that was yeah, a yeah. phenomenal game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Piers Brosnan is always kind of James Bond. When, I, when someone says James Bond, I always think of Piers yes. Brosnan because that's just the yeah, bond that i watched. Course. But Daniel Craig is. is no, phenomenal. he's done
0: such a great job. It'd be really interesting to see who who becomes the next one as well who they cast.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you get like sort of familiar names as like the bookies' mm. favourites and stuff, but then suddenly then it can just kind of Daniel Craig just kind of who who is who's Daniel Craig? So it might just be someone completely. You know, re- relatively unknown. yeah it again.
0: depends how they want to go with it i guess yeah but it's also that thing of thinking mm. in that longevity sense which i forgot about you know is like you know when you're talking about your idris Elbers and your and your tom Hardy's and stuff mm. like i guess they're thinking of this in the sense of this guy is going to be playing bond in 10 12 years time you know so it's be interesting to see it'd be I, I would love an unknown to be honest not an unknown probably not to mm. me but certainly to the sort of majority or the general public, someone who people don't know too much about, so it can kind of be reinvented in a sense. That would be really exciting. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what Daniel Craig does post-Bond yeah. as well. Like, is, is is there a kind of label that you're always going to be seen as James Bond? I mean, saying that, like,
0: Knives or? Out and Dragon Tattoo, and, like, he's yeah. on his own two feet, you know, like, without the Bond label. He's he's done some really great parts. And um, and even before Bond, he was doing some really good work. So yeah, I think he was mm-hmm. dead, dead the test of time. Definitely with with new roles and stuff. He's very well respected, yeah. and he's um, he's good at what he does. Hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so how how many years would I mean? When how old were you when you started EastEnders? I was how sixteen. Were you when you, sixteen. Yeah. As well, and I like it, in a way, is it like? because obviously it was a massive program, especially, you know, I think you had probably the saddest death in the EastEnders <laughs> history, wasn't it? Uh, the Day like deaths but, are
0: always upsetting. Oh yeah,
1: it's always, you know, <laughs> they always now to do a death yeah. in EastEnders. Um, but was it a bit, in a way, are you kind of glad that you didn't have the social media aspect of dealing with that kind of level of yeah. fame? You know, because like, it was such a huge program, especially when there wasn't Netflix, yep. Amazon, not as much choice on sky yep. and things like that so and there wasn't it facebook or instagram re- yeah no twitter facebook instagram anything mm. like that so yeah is, is that you, are you kind of relieved that you didn't have to deal with that like
0: <laughs> yeah i am i think um yeah i think it's uh i think it was the last kind of golden age of, of television um that 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 era that, that kind of light late, late 90s um and i always feel Really lucky to be a part of the show at that time because it, there were some really great people there, and um, and there were some great writers, and and the show just was at the top of its game, you know. And not to say that after I left, the show just kind of dwindled. It was just the world changed, you know, after nine yeah. eleven, and um, you know yeah. when social media hit, hit, you know, it was, you know, everything changed. Um, and now, you know, as as you touched on, you know, Netflix and Amazon and. It's all that stuff. So no, I felt very, very privileged to be a part of the kind of slightly old, older school of, of, of that show and, uh, and, and see it through to the end like that. And um, I learned a hell of a lot and, and went into it at a very young age and was surrounded by my family in the show, that being Steve McFadden and Ross Kemp and Barbara Windsor. So real icons of, of the screen, you know, mm-hmm. and me being a quite a confident young Southeast London lad kind of let it kind of wash over me slightly I wasn't too thrown by it and very quickly got really obsessed and into the work you know into the into the scripts and into the character and into the day-to-day nature of being with the crew and 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 working from you know leaving my house at what five in the morning in Tunbridge to drive around the M25 to Elstree every day back and two and um and just work you know work my guts out on that on that show so it was a bit of a baptism by fire but I learned a a hell of a lot and it and it it put me in a great position to to go into sort of theatre and carry on with what I was doing with the rest of my career after that so it was a brilliant learning curve yeah fantastic
1: I suppose like you say you in you were kind of in that golden era of EastEnders and at 16 being in EastEnders when EastEnders was so popular so many big characters so much well-known sort of storylines around that sort of time was it hard to kind of deal with that level of fame of such a such a young age
0: yes it was it was very tricky in moments um you know very simple things like um you know going to um the shops to, to get a pair of trainers or something you know um and checking my my watch you know and it would be 3 30 and thinking oh god I shouldn't be out right now And you'd think well why and it's like well the schools are coming out you know and all of a sudden there's security and there's you know hundreds of people trying to get into the shop and they haven't got the manpower to control it so they have to ask me to leave the building and they take me upstairs and it's like it's that kind of vibe that you go wow I was just popping out for a pair of trainers like you know um Mm -hmm. It's, it's funny, you know, I always say this to people, like, it's that thing where, you know, when you're in the movies, you know, you're kind of on the big screen and you're magnified. So, you know, if Leonardo DiCaprio or George Clooney walks into a bar, you suddenly think, my God, they're tiny, like they're human size, <laughs> you know. Um, and when it comes yeah. to soaps, particularly at that time, you're in people's living rooms every day sort of night sort of vibe so Mm -hmm. all through their children's upbringing and you know when their daughter comes in and she's broken with a boyfriend in tears you're there in the room you're in the corner again you know and Mm -hmm. the christmas day you're in the room so there's this weird thing that people think they know you people think you're part of the family i remember this guy coming up to me in london and saying oh my god and stopping me and sort of being like i know you and he was like, I know you. And he's like, you he was like, you went out with my sister. Or he's like, you went to my school. And he was like, I know you from somewhere. And he was really animated and genuine. And I was just sort of stood there quite calmly. And I waited for the penny to drop. And it did. And he was mortified and was really apologetic. And, and I said, look, don't worry. It happens all the time. But he really believed that I was a part of his life, that I was a mate across the street or something. And um, and then he felt, you know, horrible for, for stopping me, and and suddenly realised. But it is that strange thing. So people, for me, when it came to the fame thing with EastEnders, was people were very in your face. You know, people felt that they could grab you. People felt that they could whip your baseball cap off and point at you and say things. And so it was quite intrusive in that sense. Um, but I had a great group of people around me. I had good mates. I had a good family. And, um, and I was at work all the time. I mean, you know, pretty much six days a week, I was in that studio. So it was very rare that I was kind of, you know, in those situations, really, because I was always behind the gates of Elstree most of the time, but, um, <laughs> but it was difficult, it was difficult. And I think if, if my daughter, you know, in 16 years time was to go into a, you know, TV thing, or, you know, kind of some kind of level of fame, you know, I would, I guess my my sort of my nervousness would kick in in the sense of the experience I had of of this how sort of close it can get how serious it can get in moments you know Mm -hmm. um but yeah you know I think I think for me I was lucky that I had quite a quite a good head on my shoulders even at that point and kind of just focused on my job you know and really enjoyed the work you know so I didn't get sort of kind of persuaded or I didn't kind of venture into the whole fame thing, really. I, I kind of pretty much kept myself to myself really during those years and just, just got on with the work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's good. good. Cause we've had a few people on and they've sort of say that, you know, they've had to deal with so much abuse online from people, like just people that just come out of nowhere like yeah. on Twitter and Instagram, just comments. Like we had um Matt D'Angelo, who played yes. Dino in yes. Extenders. He He came on and he obviously, he was in part of that, um, sexual abuse story with um, linda okay. danny dyer's wife and you know he had people like comment on the picture of his dog like you know you rapist and stuff like this and it was just like because of the storyline he was in he was playing this awful character and he was mm. getting like really horrible comments and stuff mm. it was yeah surreal that people feel that they can just put that put well it's that so
0: on. easy isn't it to just write something mm-hmm. and press send you know, it it takes a it's a very different thing to approach someone face to face and do something like that. Mm-hmm. So I think people are protected in in, in 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 an odd way, and 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 I'm sure that there's organisations and and people that are doing doing something about that. At least I hope there are. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it was like the character I played on Holby City. I played this horrible character on that show um, who ended up raping um, this girl in the show, and I remember reading the script and thinking like god this guy's a rapist like you know I I had no idea that 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 was where the 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 character was going really um and I remember walking down the street on a number of occasions and being so used to sort of (laughs) girls running across the street to hug me or get an autograph or something suddenly there were women crossing the street to get to the other side you know really saw me and were thinking I don't want to be near this guy and there's this, it's a weird one. Cause one side of you thinks, Oh man, like I'm not like that. Like I'm just doing my job. But then the <laughs> other side of me is like, well, I must be doing my job right if they don't want to be near me at all. You know? So mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, it's a weird one, but um, no, I'm sorry to hear that that, that guy went through that. It's, it's terrible, but it's, it's always kind of going to happen. You know, it's like, it's cause it's just so accessible. You know, if you're, if you're in the media or on television and you've, you've got to, an open account and you know it's going to happen i guess it's just how much you allow yourself to to, to kind of invest in that you know on some level um but there's no sort of getting around it i guess until until there's laws for it or you know these people get like we touched on you know the uh the racism after the the uh the euros you know i mean i did read that these people were were you know, found and and you know have to stand up for their actions and and that's absolutely right. You know, um, hmm. but yeah, it's 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 a it's a crazy world now, man. Like with social media and all that stuff, and and uh, I I I I very rarely sort of go on it. um You know, I've I've got a couple of you know I've got my Facebook and my Instagram, but I I I don't spend a lot of time on them to be honest. It's uh it's, it's a bit of a yeah. crazy one for me. Yeah,
1: yeah, it does it does worry me the um just some of the younger people that think it's so important to like Instagram in particular mm. for sort of young teens and young women and I guess young guys as well, but you know, feel like it's really important to build likes and a following yeah. on there. I think it's really important for them. Like if I said to, if I said to, I feel like if I said to someone that was like, I don't know, 17 years old now, I give you two options. You can wake up one more then you can be the most talented piano player in the world and you know you could be the best piano player ever or you can wake up and just have for no particular reason a million followers on instagram Mm -hmm. they would all go i'll have the million followers on instagram for no reason it's like it's that fame over talent yeah Yeah. it's
0: that kind of x-factor thing isn't it you know that x-factor generation where you know you can kind of queue up and and sing a song and and your life can change you know it can change overnight Mm. you know um And yeah, a lot of people would choose that over, you know, the graft and, 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 you know, the kind of study and the close work and all that, you know, but here you are talking to someone, you know, in that sense that happened to me at 16, you know, I I went to a workshop, the producer said, come to an audition, like literally within a month, my world had changed. It it changed overnight. It was that kind of vibe. Um, But yeah, I get that. I get that. And, and I'm sure there's, you know, yeah I mean I, I don't know what to say you know it's 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 just one of those things you know I think there's things now people can buy followers and stuff you know people can
1: I've heard about yeah this, you know yeah. Oh, I
0: bought you know you can do invest yeah. in this thing you can get five thousand and it's like yeah I mean I'm, I'm I'm quite glad that I kind of missed that train slightly that I'm kind of slightly mm-hmm. I did grow up without a mobile phone and I did grow up Falling out of trees and playing football at the park all day and kind of getting my hands dirty.
1: Jumpers for lamp uh, (laughs) posts. Jumpers for posts. Yeah,
0: absolutely right. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and um, it's funny you say that actually because still to this day, if I walk past a well-cut sort of lawn or a field with a goal and a real white (laughs) net. I look at it and it feels like Christmas. Like it's, the, it's like the one thing that I wanted growing up was a goal up at the mm-hmm. park where I used to yeah. play. It's like, if I could have that, like that would just be it for me, you know, because we did just have, yeah. you know, a brick or a, or a jumper as a post, yeah. you know, and the idea of having a real goal was like, oh, you know, growing up in Southeast London, but, you know, you could never put one up there because it wouldn't be there the next day. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> so, uh, but um, yeah, I remember that. I remember that very well.
1: Yeah. I mean, do do you remember uh, when when you found like I guess your character was going to be killed off at EastEnders? Were you were you gutted by that, like, or were you a bit like, oh, I mean, involved in a really a massive storyline? Like,
0: you know you- what? This is the truth of it, right? It felt a little bit to me at the time. It felt like a bit of a game. It felt like right. to me that I had gone to the producers and said, I want to leave. I want some time out. I, if it's, I want a year out and get my life sorted out slightly and get away from the fame and get away from the character a bit. you know." And um, mm-hmm. that was my idea. My idea wasn't to leave indefinitely. Um, and what it felt like, and I'm not saying that this is what it was, but what it felt like to me was that they said, Jamie would never leave, Sonia. So you can't. If you do go, you're going to have to die. Perhaps expecting my answer to then be, oh, no, 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 I'll stay. And it kind of, I felt being a young lad at the time, it kind of got my back up a bit and felt like this was a bit of a ploy. And I sort of thought if he dies, he dies. I need some time out. And if that's the way it's going to go, then fine. So it wasn't a thing that, you know, uh, a script came through the door and he died and I was like what and they I never knew about it it was kind of in the discussion of it and it was kind of the sense I got was it's kind of up to you you can either stay or you can die you know it's one or the other oh, sort of vibe yeah. and for me it was like well I don't want to play this game <laughs> I need some time mm-hmm. out I'm, I'm burnt out and I need time away from this so if you're gonna kill him then do it you know and I stood by that and then that's what happened.
1: Yeah yeah did did part of you perhaps want to explore other avenues as well but you know kind of be away from these um
0: yeah i mean i remember really thinking not about acting i really remember thinking like Mm -hmm. i remember thinking about thailand (laughs) i remember thinking about i want to go away i want to go somewhere and sit on a beach and read or play cricket or football or something i want to be somewhere else that's what i wanted um that's that's the memory I have it it wasn't about I want to try and be in movies or I want to explore other characters at that point it was I want to get away I want to jump on a plane and I want to go somewhere for a while that's what I want to do and I think like what we just touched on I think that was to do with the the pressure of the fame I think it was having that situation where everywhere I went it was impossible like my brother reminds me of this a lot because I kind of I think I myself was a bit of a, a lack of memory with this sort of stuff. You know, maybe it was a bit fuzzy over that period, but it's like, he always reminds me of how crazy it was because I always kind of play it down, I guess, in social conversations and stuff and go, yeah, it was this. And my brother, if my brother's there, he'll go, what? He'll go, Jack, it was like, right, there was this time, right? And he'll tell, a, you know, an anecdote about something. And it reminds me of how nuts it was, you know? And um, because a lot of people said to me as well, like at the time, like, you're like, you're a bit like a pop star but you haven't got the management you have no security, you know, and, uh, and that's what it was like, you know, I'd go to the smash hits awards, you know, and I'd be, you know, the spice girls and S Club seven and all these bands and, and I would rock up yeah. and I'd be getting out of a taxi and be going onto the stage and getting my award and stuff and be, you know, getting taxi home sort of vibe. It's like, I never arrived with an entourage. I never arrived with security or anything like that. So the BBC didn't provide that at that time. So there was a lot of scenarios, as you can imagine, where I was on a train somewhere or arrived somewhere and there's no one around me at all. So there was, it was very tough in that sense because a lot of people got very close to me and, and were able to. I mean, I can't even remember a bad experience. Do you know what I mean? Of like someone being nasty or bolshy or whatever. But I can remember moments when it got a bit out of hand in the sense of just the amount of people I remember being taken out of places and being put in like basically a headlock by someone and being dragged out of somewhere. Or I remember being on a bus, on the top of a bus and promoting something. Um, This was after EastEnders and I remember the bus moving, like shaking, you know, like people were trying to get onto the bus and stuff like that. And people jumping onto like, I was being driven by a friend of mine for quite a while uh, to work and back and i remember moments numerous moments in his car of people being on the roof and stuff like that you know and it was yeah. just us we didn't have any security or anything so in that respect there were scary moments of being like how do we control this <laughs> how do i mm-hmm. calm down these you know 30 odd 40 group of girls you know how do i do that you know um so those were the moments that were tricky yeah but i never had yeah. Um, any luckily for me never had any sort of face-to-face kind of moments with anyone that was that was sort of yeah a bit out of my depth luckily
1: yeah yeah I guess like when you were probably in that height of fame though like did you have like the paparazzi probably was a bit nuts yeah. like say, like, I remember the smash hit magazines mm. and stuff and you were, you know at a stage you were in a high profile yeah. relationship as well did you have to deal with the sort of negative side of the pap paparazzi yeah i mean was it, was it too
0: bad uh, yeah in the sense of i mean we never read the papers i never i never picked one up mm-hmm. you know so like i would never read anything or get, in, get absorbed in any of that but yeah of course anywhere you went there was um there were paparazzi yeah the people outside your house and um obviously everything every document or every script that came through the door once it was read and learned was always we had a shredder you know to make sure that people couldn't you know go through our papers and stuff in our bins and all that we were always aware of that um yeah I remember being followed and things you know being tracked by you know whether they were private detectives or whether they were just press photographers I remember that being the case quite often um but again I was you know I had nothing to hide you know it wasn't like I was you know out and about all the time you know like i said i was i was getting up i was going to work and i was coming back And on the weekends i was playing pro evolution soccer you know and, and and ordering you know a takeaway with a bunch of mates and like like big bang theory it was that kind of vibe you know when i was i was like 16 17 18 19 years old so you know there was nothing to hide so it never got to me so much it was like well this is just what it is you know and how lucky am i to to be working and be in this show and you know be be doing this stuff so it didn't it didn't get to me so much. I think it's I think it's in the later years. I think it's looking back now that I think, oh, wow, there should have been something in place there. You know, <laughs> there should have been something in place there. And um, but at the time, it was just, you know, it was just me getting on with it, you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess what you've been doing since EastEnders and the other acting shows that you've been in, like, you've, I see that you do some workshops now. I yeah, think?
0: I've set up um, an online kind of acting class. Um, so... I guess, you know, when I started directing um, and directing shows like Full Monty and Calendar Girls, and then I directed the band musical to take that musical, um, got some interest from drama schools wanting me to come and do sort of like classes and, and talk to the students and, and um, some drama schools I've made short films with and stuff like that. Um, and then when COVID hit, I sort of felt very detached from all of that. And I, and I, and I really enjoy teaching. Really enjoyed working with students, um, really enjoyed working with the actors that I directed in the shows, you know, even actors who had been in the business for years, actors that I grew up watching on television, I would go to with a certain tip or a certain note about something and they would really take it on board and it would enhance the performance, you know, on stage for them. And there was something in that that gave me confidence. And I felt like, actually, I'm I'm quite good at this. Like, I'm quite good at conveying that information and making a scene work a bit better or making that person look more authentic or believable. Um, and, I, you know, me and Ella were walking with, with Marnie and Marnie was, God, she must have been only about four months old at the time. And, and I was talking this out with her and, and said, you know, I want to do something like that a bit more. I want to connect with people who... Whether they're professionals or not, people who are interested in acting, people who want to learn about the craft, and the whole nature of Zoom and COVID, it just made me think. Well, there's there's a world of that now going on, and and with Zoom, I can access anyone. You know, I can I can get someone who wants to be an actor in Scotland or in Brazil or wherever. You know, so so I set up this little company um, called JRS, the Jack Rider Sessions. And it started out through my agents, actually, who had clients on their books who were kind of mainly theatre trained actors who wanted to learn about television auditions and learn about self tapes and actually gain some confidence in that world because they started getting auditions for Amazon series and all this. And they were a little bit felt as though they were perhaps out of their depth slightly. So some actors got sent my way and um, and I worked with them and, and we talked through some stuff and we worked on self tapes and we did scene work and, and it just kind of evolved from there really. And then I started getting applications from people who had never acted before, people who had wanted to and had had other careers for years and wanted to go back to something that they really felt passionate about. And now, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's doing, it's doing well, you know, I'm working with lots of different types of people. You know, some people are professionals in the industry who come to me because they've got an audition like next week and they've got this script and don't really know how to get their head around it. Um, And we work on that together and they send off a a tape and, and all that stuff. And then some people come to me who, who are just genuinely interested about the the industry and who want to sort of, you know, get the confidence to, to know what it's like to, to work, in the real world as an actor and, and to, to work on scenes and to play characters and learn lines and learn about the whole process and disciplines that all that sort of requires really and um and it's a very collaborative thing you know um so yeah it's very enjoyable and it's online and uh yeah it's called the Jack rider sessions and uh, and it's 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 doing okay it's I I, I, get, I get a lot from it it's it's very fulfilling working with working with with actors and working with people who 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 want to be actors you know and who are kind of striving to 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 make something of themselves and kind of do something that they're passionate about you know which not a lot of us get to do in this world we you know we all have our jobs and a lot of the people I work with have their their jobs and their lives, but they also there's this thing whispering in their ear and they wanna they want to work at that and that's that's when they come to me and um yeah, it's very enjoyable very fulfilling
1: yeah. And you've delved into the world of children's books as <laughs> yeah. well. I mean, how, was that something that you always wanted to do? Or was that just, I mean, did it just happen? That's, or, I mean, how did that come that's, about?
0: That's the thing I always say when I watched um, Steven Spielberg do an interview. Um, not an interview. He was doing a talk to a lot of graduates. Um, and he told okay. this group of, 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 of students to always listen to the whispers. Listen to that whisper in your ear. And for years, I, I believe that was the whisper in my ear, was, was children's literature and children's books. I don't know why... Right. But how it started for me was when I was directing um, theatre, I took the plunge and read a story on a plane um, on my way back from the States, short story called Act of Memory. And it was a story about a girl at Christmas and um, whose father had died, and she basically goes out in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve and drags this Christmas tree home and puts it up in her house. And um, I read this story and I thought, this is a short film, this is beautiful, and I'd love to set this in England because it was set in New York at the time. And um, I thought this could be, you know, post-World War II, you know, Southwark, cobbled streets, London, I can see it, this is a film. So I rang the the publishers, I got in touch with the writer, Mary Grace Denbeck, who at the time was something like 83 years old or something. And I just spoke to her on the phone and said, I love your story, I wanna take you for a cup of tea, you know, and I said, uh, I'll meet you under the clock at Grand Central Station on this date and uh, and, I, and i want to take you for tea and she sounded very pleased and said yeah i'd love to meet you so i flew over to new york i met mary under the clock at the time i said took her for a cup of tea told her my idea and she gave me the rights to her to her story and then i flew back to london and i wrote the script and made this short film that ended up going to Cannes and was bought by sky arts and for a short film it actually did very well you know um but it, for me, it was a calling card to say, this is what I can do. This is me as a director. This is me as a writer. This is me as conceiving an idea and, and, and building it into something and making it into, into, this, into this thing. And from that, I sort of got this confidence. And I was working with Tim Firth on Calendar Girls. I was working with Simon Beaufoy on Full Monty, these really prolific writers. And I attempted to write a screenplay. And I got 20 pages into that screenplay. And I sat back from it and thought, this isn't a film. This is a children's book. And that's when, for the next, I think it was maybe 18 months, I spent, I think, every evening for two hours or even three hours every night writing. Just made that decision, just said, every night I'm going to write, even if I don't write anything on the page, I'm going to sit there at that desk and I'm going to write. And I did that for 18 months and came up with this very fat manuscript, which was Jack's Secret Summer and Jack's Secret World in one. Presented to Hachette, Hachette fell in love with it, and then I worked with Anne McNeil at Hachette, um, who's responsible for How to Train Your Dragon. Um, she's the editor of Craster Cald. So yeah, amazing, amazing woman who believed in in my work, and um, and yeah, we split the book into into two parts, and 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 they came out one came out last year, and the other one, Jack's Secret World, came out a couple of months back. So yeah, and I've just I've just um, I'm writing a new series with Hachette now. Um, so yeah, the writing thing is very new. Um, but it's something, again, during COVID, has been an absolute blessing. You know, to be able to sit here in my little room and, you know, it all for me. You know, people ask me, you know, why, why, why children's books? What, you know, you know, why, why, why do you do that? And it's the it's the thing I'm passionate about. It's the thing where when we're talking about Newcastle at the beginning, you know, like our childhood and growing up, watching those players and feeling that energy of that that team at the time, and Shearer and you know all that stuff and for me the seed of all of it and even now to this day is is that kind of the 1980s you know that brat pack thing of you know Spielberg George Lucas Richard Donner you know you're talking the Goonies E.T. you know Ghostbusters mm-hmm. back to the future you know those movies yeah. when i was a kid growing up making the hairs stand up on the back of my arms you know that feeling um is is at my sort of core of my sort of creativity as it were and that is where I live in story writing. That is where where it's all at for me. So when I'm writing a book or coming up with a concept or an idea and characters for a a children's book, a children's story, I'm in that world again when I was eight, nine, 10 years old. So there's no clocks, you know, I can sit here at 9am until four and it literally, and I'm not kidding you, it feels like I've been up here for 45 minutes. It's so fast because I'm just immersed in it and um I get a huge amount out of it and um and it's tough it's a grind you know especially mm-hmm. when oh, now man. I'm doing it sort of properly I've got deadlines and stuff it's like yeah I can get us this by you know in two months time you know it's like <laughs> what <laughs> especially having a one-year-old but um but no I, I get a, a huge amount of enjoyment out of it and um it's a lot of fun and uh, but yeah it's a lot of hard work as well
1: yeah 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 were you a reader as a kid like do you like Roald not Dahl really uh,
0: again Roald Beth. Dahl I, I picked up one of his books and and yeah I I, I agree that Roald Dahl's Matilda that was the first book that I read that I mm-hmm. connected with on a on a on a on a real level Yeah, you know, I tried C.S. Lewis and I tried a number of you know I think i read The Hobbit and stuff and and kind of just read them as books and felt oh this is all very dull and adult you know uh, but when I read Matilda I was like oh is lovely it was the first time i felt sort of warmth reading you know um and um but no i wasn't a big reader it was all about movies i had cable tv so it was all sky movies and and uh and videos and blockbuster video and all that so i got a hell of a lot from from watching films and uh and i think very visually as well terrible with names and um but when i see a face it's really weird like I can see a face you know I can be on the tube and and see someone you know across from me and a week later that same person will walk past me in the street and I'll I'll say oh that person was on the tube like I just remember visually very well so when it comes to writing I I think very visually and filmic um and you know I listen to lots of scores from those from those times and stuff so it's Mm -hmm. um yeah it's, it's a great process I enjoy it a lot I enjoy it a lot yeah yeah
1: is there like a, I don't know, a film or like a, a book that you've read recently and you'd be like, I'd love to develop this as a, as a, if it book to film or film to stage, there's something that you think I'd love to, if, there, if the opportunity was there, I'd love to, um, to do it.
0: God. I mean, there's a few. You know um there's a couple of uh films particularly kind of old films like 50s movies and stuff that i've seen that you think oh this would be wonderful on stage this would look beautiful mm-hmm. you know um i remember there was a time when i was working in the west end that we were talking about doing the jungle book on stage um and that was okay. very exciting um thinking about you know the concept of all that and the puppetry and and the music from that mm-hmm. from that uh animated film back in the day it was um That's very exciting. Yeah, there's lots of little ideas that float around. Definitely, definitely. But um, for me, you know, I never go into writing a children's book thinking about it being necessarily a success or it being commercially successful or being a movie or anything. I think for me, it's it's about drawing from my own experiences, sort of growing up, really, um, and going back to those days and the characters. I mean, I was very, you know, my parents separated when I was like before I was a year old. And my dad had, you know, was with my stepmom Mel, and my mum met my stepdad, Paul, very sort of quickly. So I had two sets of parents growing up, and then they had their siblings and their families as well. So I had a lot of characters around me growing up as a kid, and very diff- two very different families. You know, my dad's was quite a middle class, you know, country house in the middle of nowhere with candles and roast dinners and Beethoven on the radio and a log fire, and all very you know affluent and lovely like that. And then my mum's was you know in southeast London, and you know dinner in the microwave and you know toast for dinner and you know kind of going out with your mates and watching Nickelodeon and you know kind of very different lifestyles and like I said my stepdad was a Geordie and you know crazy crazy character he was you know so his, um but yeah so I draw from all of those characters and um and yeah sort of try and draw from my own life experiences um that I went through and that's how I approached the books yeah
1: okay so, so I guess going forward are you are you more thinking with a uh, writer's head on director's head acting or are you trying to keep them all I think yeah
0: kind of I think you're right I think it's kind of keeping all those plates spinning I think at the moment I kind of don't really have the luxury to choose I think it's that thing where it's like I'm just trying to be kind of true to what what i want to do so the writing will continue and the writing is something i'll always be tapping into and and be creating and with the directing i mean it's been dictated a lot by covid you know in recent times Mm -hmm. um and the acting as always is very hit and miss and you know some is feast or famine you know there's some years you're you're hitting all the buttons and you're you're doing all the work and it's all going off and then you know the phone doesn't ring for a year you know and it's like you know you really are scraping to find something to to, to get going so and it's always been like that for me with the acting it's um it's it's kind of some sometimes it's, it's very busy and sometimes it's very quiet but what's lovely now with the writing is that I've got something creative I can keep ticking over you know I've got something I can put that energy into um so yeah it's it's uh yeah doing lots of different things but um and obviously being a dad as well is is, is just taking everything you know to the next level it's yeah. uh which is a, a huge learning curve and and incredibly fulfilling and enjoying drawing it very much so I'm learning something new every day with with my little one and um so yeah it's a busy it's a busy time but but hugely hugely um, eventful yeah
1: yeah, well, it's been awesome talking. Oh, you so, too, Jack. man. Thank um, you for having me on. Um, I mean, we have the Shapes of Stories, that's what the podcast is called. Is, is there a story you feel has really influenced you, whether it be a book, a film, or like maybe someone's put, maybe an inspiring story of, of a real person? Is there a story that's really, really important to you?
0: Well, it's hard when you say a question like this, because obviously, like, a hundred things enter my mind at the same time. <laughs> um, one story did just flash from my mind, um, when I was making Act of Memory, that short film that I, I got the rights mm-hmm. for, um, we were filming that, it's a Christmas story, so we I made sure that we filmed it as close to Christmas as possible, and it was something like the 21st or 22nd of December, we were shooting this final day of this five, six day shoot on this film, and it had snowed the night before, so the roads were covered with inches and inches of snow, and there were people turning up on set in heels and things, and hadn't even thought this through, and people were freezing, and Anyway, we're setting up the cameras and we're setting everything up. And this, we're, we're in Southwark and we are outside this kind of old bakery and we're shooting outside and it's very, very cold. This guy, this old chap walks around the corner. He must be in his sort of late 70s. And he's just wearing a very thin suit and he's got a newspaper under his arm. And I remember seeing this chap and he was kind of a bit slippery on the, on the ground. And, and I remember thinking, this guy is... This isn't great. Like, who is this guy and, and where is he and who's with him? And, and he must be freezing and all this stuff. He slips over in front of me. I pick this guy up with a, I think a guy working on the sound or something, and we're, and we're taking him down to the end of the road, right? And someone says to me, Jack, Jack, um, so and so needs so and so's number. And I said, Yeah, uh, give him my phone. And I hand this guy my phone and keep walking with this old chap down to the end of the street, trying to think, right, I'll get this guy into a cab or something get to the end of the street, there's nothing there, there's just an estate, so I look up, right up, maybe like, look like half a mile away, to a main road, where there's these cars going past, so I walk this guy, all the way up to this road, and get to a cab, hail this cab down, say, hi, found this guy, can you take, and he said, oh, you're not leaving him with me, you know, and I'm like, "Where, where do you live, to this old chap, and he mumbles some address, so I go, okay, and I look back at the set, which is like, down the end of the road, and I look at this cab and i think and i've got like two choices like do i go back onto the set the film i'm directing or do i get (laughs) this old guy home i get in the cab with this guy so i'm in the cab we're driving around this guy's mumbling where he lives it must be 20 minutes half an hour later where we find this area we're asking people out the window do you know this chap do you know where he lives one guy says oh that's terry he lives so and so he lives up in whatever road Cab driver realizes what road it is, we drive up. And this woman comes out the door and starts shouting at this guy and saying, where did you, he's always escaping and da 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 da. This is miles away, this is like an hour and a half later. I end up getting back, driving back um, with this cabbie who doesn't charge, I've got no money. And he says, I'm not gonna charge you for that. He said, not, not, you know, he's really a nice sweet guy. And um, so I jump out of this cab, I walk back down this long road onto the set and we're about to start shooting and no one even knew I was gone. It was the weirdest moment. And it was like, okay, Jack, you ready? And because everyone was so busy and I was like, okay, let's, let's do it, okay, and action. And I always maintain the reason that film kind of did what it did in its own little way was because of that, that story and that decision I made. It was like, no, we yeah. got, I got him home, you know? And that's one of many stories, but yeah, that was one that just flashed in my mind of one of those peculiar moments that 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 comes and you go, wow, that happened. Yeah, I remember that.
1: You know, wow, the story in itself, story, (laughs) story. yeah. There we go, great. There we go. (laughs) Well, yeah, well, it's been great talking to you. And um, next time I speak, hopefully Newcastle will be Premier League champions.
0: (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. Oh man, what a wonderful place and what a wonderful team. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. No, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a real pleasure.
1: No, it's been great. All right, thank you. Yeah, really great talking to Jack. Um, really nice guy, like I said. Fellow Newcastle fan. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to keeping in touch with him and seeing um, what the future holds for him with his writing, his acting, his directing, keeping all those um, feathers to his, to his cap. So yeah, looking forward to seeing what the future holds for Jack. Uh, be sure to check us out on social media. You can follow us on Instagram at... Um, Prestige Books. You can follow um, us on Twitter at Shapes of Stories. You can follow me on Twitter under L Prestige Seven, and be sure to check out my new book, The Boy Who Lost His Smile. I'm very nervous about that book being out there because it's. I was sort. Of, I'm in R in for right for a while. If um, I wanted it out there, out there or not. Um, but you know what, I care profoundly about helping people though that, that are dealing with mental health issues and depression and yeah you know i want to encourage people to be less afraid and um I, you know, i'm not a mental health expert at all um but i am an expert of my own story and um this this book is all about that and my battle with um, those low moods and depressive feelings and and how you know i uh it's a bit dangerous to say beat depression but how i how i dealt with it and you know the the um what i, what I found helped me and hopefully it can help others too but guys thanks for listening and see you again next time